0: talking about oh, I didn't want that to come up yet. we've been talking um, the last time I was up here about this idea of, of how the things that God gives us the the gifts and the tools that he's given us become twisted and get turned around into something something they were never intended to be and today we're going to look at another one of those things we're going to look at freedom what how can how can freedom be twisted what does that mean and a lot of times I think we don't recognize that there are more than one kind of freedom. And as Americans, we place a high value on freedom. We do. If, if we look at the celebrations we have and the things that we do, we place a high value on freedom. And as Christians, we do the same thing. We sing songs that have to do with freedom, and, and we like the, the scripture verses where we're promised freedom. But do we ever really dig down it and see what that means? I mean, we're happy that that we have the right to believe what we want to and to think what we want to and to say what we want to. But unfortunately, we can sometimes confuse our American freedom and our Christian freedom to think that we can do just whatever we want to. Have you ever heard this? And I know that I used to say this when I was younger. And I know that I have younger sisters who used to say this as well. And when I say it, I think that you're going to recognize what I'm, what I'm saying. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> You've heard that before, haven't you? We like to think that just because we live in a country that's free, our actions have no consequences. We can do whatever we want. And no one can say anything about it because we're free. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, Jesus is having a discussion with some Jews who have this idea. They feel as though just because they're politically free, that they're spiritually free as well. And Jesus is going to use this to teach us some things about freedom, and we're going to look at that today. So if you've got your Bible, open up to John chapter 8. We're going to go through verses 31 through 36. Starting in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we should be set free? You can hear him in there, can't you? We're a free people. We're Abraham's sons, no one else's. We can do what we want. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Jews here that Jesus is talking to, now these are the ones who had believed in him. These weren't the people who were against him. These are the ones that, who believed in him. So Jesus isn't trying to like make them feel bad or, or make them think about something new. He's just trying to explain things to them. He's not calling them out. He's just trying to help them get a better understanding. And that's the same thing that, that we want to do today, is just get a better understanding. What's the difference between political freedom and spiritual freedom? See, the Jews in this passage are proud of their political freedom. They say, we are descendants of Abraham. We have no king, we have no father but him. He's the only one that we answer to. And they say that meaning, you know, Abraham followed God, and we're going to follow God the same way that Abraham did. But Jesus isn't talking just about the freedom that we have politically. He's talking about spiritual freedom. And we're going to see that there's a connection between our actions and our spiritual freedom that we can do things to take away our own spiritual freedom see freedom in a political sense gets twisted it gets turned around gets it's turned upside down when we think that our freedom to do whatever we want extends to the spiritual realm as well we think that just because no one can tell us who to vote for that no one can tell us the best way to act either and that's simply not true when When we look at freedom that way, and we say, it's a free country, I can do whatever I want. Our freedom's not going to last. It's going to disappear, and and anarchy or slavery are going to be put in its place. Anarchy is when everyone just does whatever they want. And that's the opposite of political freedom. But the opposite of spiritual freedom is slavery, and Jesus is going to tell us how that happens. And we're going to go through this, this verse, these verses here, this passage. We're going to go backwards. So we're going to start with verse 36 and see what happens. And the first thing that I want to tell you this morning, and something that we all know, is that freedom is not free. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just come about that, that all of a sudden, oh, we're free, and we can forget about that, depending on how old we are and how long we've lived in this country. I never had to fight for my political freedom. I was born here and we were a free country and I've never been to war, I've never been in the military, I've never had to fight for my freedom politically. It's always just been given to me. And sometimes it's hard for me to not take that for granted. We have to remember that there are forces out there, there are people and and other things that don't want us to be free. They want to control us. They want, they want to have power, and for that reason, freedom has a cost. And we live in a free country today, which is nice. We don't, ha- we're, don't have to worry about being slaves or doing exactly what someone else to, tells us to do, but that's, it's not that way in the entire world. And sometimes we don't see this on the news and we don't hear about it, so we, we like to think that it doesn't exist, but the fact of the matter remains there are slaves in the world today. Just recently, I I saw this picture, it was in uh, Pictures of the Week on MSNBC. And it made me think of something, another article that I read. See, in (laughs) India, which is where this picture was taken, there are a number of brick factories. And bricks aren't a very (laughs) high-profit business. There's not a lot of margin there. And bricks are relatively cheap and, and they take quite a bit to make. And a lot of the brick factories in India only stay in business through slave labor. And this picture here said that, you know, it's, it's slave workers, and it was a nice picture. It's brick workers didn't say if they were slaves or not. But the fact of the matter is, many of the brick factories in India are run by slaves. But not as many as there used to be. I get a, an email every couple weeks from... I think the closest thing that there is on Earth to real-life superheroes. There's a group called the International Justice Mission. It sounds like, you know, the Justice League with Superman and Batman. And and you know what? They do things that are pretty close. Because what these people do through political channels and and sometimes not-so-political channels when necessary is they go in and they make people free. On April 18th, I'm going to read this to you because it comes out better that way. An IGM, IJM, International Justice Mission, operation has brought freedom to 32 people held in a life of slavery at a brick kiln. This was in India. At the kiln, dozens of children, women, and men were forced into the hard labor of brickworks. The victims gathered water, dug dirt, mixed and carried clay, filled molds, and dried bricks in grueling conditions. The soil used to make the bricks is notorious for causing sores on human skin and the victim's hands were scarred and infected. Even the youngest child slaves suffered from open wounds on their hands. Not only was working in the kiln extremely difficult, but the owner forced his victims to live there as well. Lack of food and water left the victims susceptible to disease and desperate to escape. The owner, intensely unconserved with his slaves, even admitted to IJM staff that he did not need to know the names of his workers to keep them working. Now, through political channels and doing other things, the, the IJM was able to go in and free these people, and they all have certificates now saying they're official citizens of India and they're entitled <clears throat> to the rights and privileges that citizens of that country have. But it didn't come just because these people wanted it. Someone had to go and work for it. Someone had to go and make that happen. And we celebrate this in our country. Last weekend, last Sunday, as I was driving home, we saw thousands of people gathered at the stadiums. And you saw it on TV if you turn on the TV to celebrate Matt Maupin and the sacrifice that he made for freedom. The sacrifice that he made not just so that he could be free, but so that we could be free. And so that people in other countries could enjoy the freedom that we have. And it's a big thing. Political freedom is an important thing, but it's not the only thing. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly realms, spiritual, frac- sac- <clears throat> spiritual freedom requires sacrifice as well. Paul says we don't just have a fight for political things, for things of this world. We have a fight for spiritual things as well. And the good news is that, that there's been a sacrifice for our spiritual freedom as well. In verse 36 of John chapter 8, it says So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the Son, of course, referred to here is God's Son, is Jesus, who came and gave the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. He sacrificed his life for us so that we could be free spiritually. And there's no sacrifice greater A perfect life, the perfect man, God himself, came down and gave everything for each one of us. This is a big deal and something that we shouldn't forget. We have to remember that the freedom that we enjoy, or the freedom that we take for granted, came at a great price. Next thing we need to remember is that freedom is a choice. We live in a free country, but we give up that freedom on a daily basis. We choose to just give up our freedom regularly. Think about this. How many dog owners do we have here? A, a quite a few dog owners. Remember back the first time that you got a dog. All right? you. We're going through life, and all of a sudden, or maybe you've always had a dog, so you don't know any different. But you've always been free to go about your life to do what you want. And one day, you get a dog and and bring it home, and it's so cute, and it curls up on your lap and licks your face, and, and you have such a good time with it. But then, the next morning, you're all snuggled up tight in your bed, and it's nice and warm. You don't want to get up, but, well, the dog needs to go out. So you've got to get up and you've got to take the dog out. And then the dog needs to be fed. So you've got to feed the dog. And then you want to go on vacation, but you can't because you don't have anyone to take care of the dog. By buying a dog, by getting a dog, you're agreeing to give up some of your freedom. It's just a choice that you've made. That it's worth it for you to have a dog, but you're going to give up freedom. And having a dog is not the only thing. We also choose to give up our freedom when we have children, or when we buy a house, or when we get a job. And none of those are necessarily bad things. But they are ways in which we choose to give up some of the freedom that we have. And it's funny when, when little kids want to have a want to get a pet, they don't think about this. And it's a way to teach them responsibility and things. But most of the time mom and dad are the ones who wind up taking care of the the mess that the dog makes or making sure that it gets walked making sure that it gets fed but freedom is a choice and we can choose to give up that freedom sin works the same way I'm not saying that owning a dog is a sin that's not what I'm saying but sin works the same way in our lives in that it takes away our freedom In verse 34, Jesus talks about this. He talks about being a slave to sin. And sometimes it's easy to see how this works. We think about addictions and how people are a slave to their addictions, whether that's to drugs or or alcohol or sex or money or or even food. When people get so reliant on the comfort that something brings, that, that moment of feeling better, that that's all they think about, that it starts to control them it's easy to see how we could say they're a slave to that sin. But if we look closely at verse 34, it says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Not just those people who do the really bad sins or those people who get messed up in the addiction sins or get caught by the addiction sins. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Every sin enslaves, every sin takes away freedom. See, sin is like a snowball, and it starts off small, just that that one little lie that you tell. But then someone says, well, wait a minute. I thought you said, and then you've got to, you know, uh, no, what, what I really said was, and there's another lie and then another lie. Next thing you know you're acting differently to cover it up and that snowball is rolling and it's getting bigger and it's getting bigger and you're adding more lies and then some other things start to move in there. Oh, you said you got a raise last week and you didn't get a raise so now you've got to get some extra money from somewhere. Where does that come from? And the snowball gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets more momentum, it gets more power and before you know it we we can't control it. No husband in a loving relationship wakes up one morning and says you know what I'm going to cheat on my wife today. It's not a one-step process. No, instead, it starts off small. And it starts off not with things that we do, but maybe with things that we think. And you start to think a little bit more about that other person. And then you start to maybe dream a little bit about that other person. Maybe not just one person, maybe it's just the other gender as a whole. And then maybe just a little bit of flirting, maybe some inappropriate conversations. And and before you know it, that next step to adultery doesn't seem that bad. We see mass murderers on TV, or just a murderer on TV, and chances are they didn't wake up that morning and say, you know what? I'm going to kill someone today. I've never tried that. I've never done it before. I think it might be fun. But it doesn't work that way. It's a process. It starts with with just holding a grudge against someone and letting that grudge turn into anger and then letting other things come in and add fuel to that fire and start to let it get bigger and bigger and bigger until one day you lose control. And there it is. You can say the same thing about all of the big sins that are out there. It's not a one-step process from where you are to that sin. It's lots of little steps. And every one of those little steps, as we let them build and let them add on, takes away more and more of our freedom. Because it's leading us on a path that takes us away from God. Because each time that you sin, it's a little... Less fun than the time before. It's a little less fulfilling than the time before. Or, or you have to do a little bit more to get back to where you were from the time before. It wants more of us, it wants more of us, it wants more of us. And before we know it, we're letting the sin control us. <clears throat> Last week, Jim talked about the joy of becoming a Christian and how we can lose that joy. And in that, he talked about some things from Second Peter chapter 2. And in there, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it says, they promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And as Jim talked about joy, he just mentioned this idea of freedom, that we have joy in the freedom that we have, but as we lose that freedom, the joy disappears as well. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If we let sin master us, even just in little ways, we start to become slaves of that sin. We can give in and let let sin master us, or we can make the choice to be spiritually free, to be free from sin. in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. That's our choice, right there, as, as Paul lays it out. He says, You have the choice to indulge your sinful nature, or you can serve one another in love. It sounds like a simple choice, doesn't it? Well, let's see. Do I want to be a slave or do I want to be free? Well. Paul seems to say, if I I want to be a slave, I live for me. If I want to be free, I live for other people. This is our choice. We can live for ourselves, or we can live for God, which which means, for right now, living for other people. It's not just a one-time choice. This is a choice that we make over and over and over again. It's a lifestyle. It's a fight that we have every day. If we go back to verses 31 and 32, Jesus is speaking. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We really like the verse 32 there. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It sounds really good. That has a great ring to it, doesn't it? It should be put on bumper stickers and, like, written on buildings in Washington. Oh, wait, it is. But what we do is we, we forget verse 31. It's not enough just to know the truth. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, the truth will set us free if we know it, but, but knowing it's not enough. And it's not enough just to know it the way that we know who the 16th president of the United States is. That's not enough. Or just to know when the major holidays are. That's, that's not enough. If we go back to verse 31, we find out how we can really know The way that Jesus is talking about He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really disciples, then you will know. The knowing here that Jesus talks about comes from doing. We can't really know something until we do it. And I've found this out myself. I can sit in class all day and and hear something and have it taught to me over and over again. But I don't really understand it until I teach it to someone else. I've got to do it. I've got to go through it in order to really understand it. We come to know the truth by doing. We have to act in order to know. It's not just a matter of having knowledge, and it's not just a matter of even being right. You can be right until the cows come home, but that's not going to let us really know the way that Jesus is talking about here. In order to know the truth, we have to do the truth. We have to see the truth that Jesus talked about. And bend our lives to that. We have to mold our lives to what God wants us to do. We must live our lives based on that knowledge. And this is not a new thing. In Psalm 119, verse 45, David writes, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. And precepts there is just a big fancy word for your rules. Like, wait a minute. I'm gonna walk about in freedom because I know the rules? We don't like rules and freedom to go together. They seem like, like opposites. That when there is freedom, there shouldn't be any rules, right? I think that's David's point and he says it in kind of a poetic way. He says, I know freedom. I walk in freedom, I live in freedom because I found out about you, God. I found out about the way that you created me, the way that you crafted me, the way that you put me together and the best way for me to live. If I really want to be free, I'm going to be walking towards you. To walk in freedom means to walk towards God. And as we've talked about before, when Jesus says well, how we're supposed to live, we're supposed to love God and love others. Freedom without sacrifice becomes slavery. This is in the immediate sense and in the eternal sense. Eternally, we're free because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He granted us our spiritual freedom. We walked in here this morning as free men and free women because of what Jesus did. Yet still, we choose to give up our freedom when we say, all right, what's in it for me? What can I do for me right now? I just want to be comfortable right now. I want to feel good right now. What am I going to do to make myself feel better? When we're looking out for ourselves, and not sacrificing ourselves for other people, we're going to wind up just as enslaved as we were before we knew Jesus. And David, when he wrote this, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. David was a warrior. This was a guy who was out on the battlefield regularly. This was his life. He ate, breathed, and slept battle and fighting and and being in the midst of of big important things and and he looked at his life in the same way that he looked at a battle that every day i've got to go out there and i've got to fight to do what's right i've got to fight to make the right decisions i've got to fight to put down the enemy and live the way that god wants me to live that's the only way that i'm going to find true freedom John, could you hit the lights? And freedom is something that we all need to fight for. I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? <laughs> against that? No! We will run. And we will live. Die. Right. Right. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds chills doesn't it at least it does me and I've watched that probably 20 times in the last two days as I got it all cropped down to the right size and all that stuff and still when I see that it it gets me excited it makes me want to go out and fight and we're given that opportunity we might not be able to put blue paint on our faces and ride horses and have big swords well some of us might but I wouldn't recommend it but we still have a battle to fight Because there are still forces out there that want to enslave us. And it's not as obvious as the British across the field with their heavy horse. But we still fit the pattern here. We came in here this morning as free men and free women. And there's a battle before us. We can choose to go home and go back to our beds and live out the rest of our days for us. Just doing what would be easiest for us. But someday we're going to get to the end and we're going to say, wait a minute. Man, I should have went back and lived more for God and less for me. More for other people and less for me. Jim's going to come forward and lead us in our closing song, which talks about this. It talks about turning our eyes from the world and and turning them to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. Every day is turn away from the things that we want and turn to the things that God wants. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Not slavery. We need to stand firm. We need to go forward from here and not give in to the things for us or the things for the world, but the things for God and the things for other people are the things that we need to move out and fight for.